Hello, welcome. This is another episode of yeah. Can I can I just do that for the rest of the episode? Just just to annoy you guys like this was a very interesting time that I thought that um, I was thinking. <clears throat> Is it still okay to say Black Friday or is that stepping on some people's toes? I don't know because every so-called community, every group uh, has uh, marked out words, alphabets for themselves, um, abbreviations, slogans. Um, and I feel very soon we're going to run out of alphabets or words, a combination of these things. And we'll have to soon invent formulas like what uh, Mr. Elon Musk is naming his children's with. Uh, children's, my God, that's a great way to start the podcast, you fucking illiterate. Um, sorry, naming his children, plural apostrophe S, that's what I meant, just to make sure that you guys don't think I'm unworthy to listen to. But his uh, children's names, or child's names, that's even worse. Yes, he's using formulas. Uh, for a second, I got very, very terrified that I had fucked up. But no, children, apostrophe S, names. Um we use, yeah, I think someone I read somewhere, but it's it's a bit baffling to me because one side I saw I read somewhere that Katy Perry got sued, and many people are like wow finally for plagiarizing, but she got sued by someone else, and I don't know the lawsuit. I read a little bit about it from what knowledge or what information was available to me on the Guardian, which is of course the most um, independent source of journalism. But I think they're good, so they claimed that this Christian group or this guy who's a Christian, um, who's a singer, I don't know, a Christian singer or a singer who's Christian, I don't know, but he claimed that one of his songs was used, uh, or rather Katy Perry used one of his songs, one of the riffs or the templates, and that's that whole conversation, right, if you use the same notes, are you copying, I don't know, I'm not a musician, at least I'm trying to, but I'm not a very good musician, but this goes down that rabbit hole, you can't use alphabets, you can't use things, and I think there is a certain creation within a framework which music and language help us uh, express ourselves. You have a bunch of notes, a bunch of rules, how those notes apply and how those various things fall into place with timing, with signatures, key signatures, with major minor scales and the same thing with language. And as a result, we communicate, we create, we have um, a beauty in language. We have a beauty in the rules of language that govern language, that determine the way we interact. And that's similar with music or with various other forms of expression. But now if you go and say, no, you can't say that because I'm offended or these words don't apply to me. Where do we take it from there? Anyhow. Black Friday, that's of course, if you're in America, you probably are completely shagged out right now after waiting in lines. And I don't know how it worked. I didn't read up about how people, usually people like they're, they're flocked around the mall or they're just like waiting in queues around the thing for the first thing. And it's, it's a feeding frenzy because they want all the, the best deals that are available, the best suits that have come from Vietnam, which cost $1 to make anyway. But now Hugo Boss said it's $2,000, but they're giving it $400. You're just fucking blown away. And of course, we have Black Friday in India now because, of course, we're just following the consumerum, consumerum. We're following the patterns that are happening in the US as always, even though, uh, yeah, we're, we're fucking celebrating Thanksgiving. It's a bit much, right? Uh, who are we thanking and who are we giving and what have we taken? Because clearly shit has been taken from us, which we're a little oblivious to. But sometimes when Shashi Tharoor reminds us, we're like, oh, fucking big, big word, man. Please tell us what we've lost and our legacy. And that's when people from... Uh, small towns in India, like fucking English, hate the language. We are, we are proud of India, national pride. We should speak regional. Good for you, speak regional, but I don't think there's a, don't blame a language. I think um, 
I understand it's sensitive. When I spoke to the interculturalist, she told me, yes, language is the first thing that they mock to make you feel that you're not good enough as a culture. I get it. But don't hate on one thing just because you can't speak it. Secondly, don't hate on something because someone uh, who spoke that language fucked us over. Yes, was it bad? I suppose so. Was I alive then? Nah, I hope not. Maybe in my previous life. Yes, but there are certain things that happen when... Um, where was I going with this thought? I was going somewhere with this thought. But yeah, various things happen when language... And I don't want to just ramble while I think of what I was going to say. But um, there's there's this idea that we take things and, without understanding why they're being done. Um, and I think that's happening. Yeah, and people say cultural appropriation if some white person or black person or Mexican... I don't color Mexican. Mexicans are brown as well. It's a brown person. Or maybe they're lighter brown or maybe they're beige. And they... Fire, let out fireworks people are like that's Diwali how could you take out but we are happy to say Thanksgiving even though we don't understand why the fuck we're doing it even though it's giving thanks to the people that you basically said excuse me um, we know this is your land but you can fuck off and you can live in the outhouse and we'll supply you with enough stuff to sort of put blinders on you so you don't know and uh, yeah as a result once a year we'll give you some shit and make you feel like oh cool I'm, I'm reading this book and as a result, I'm kind of slowly, I'm not, I'm not saying that's where my entire education about the topic comes from, but it's a book called The Night Watchman and it's about the Native American tribe in North Dakota and how they are fighting against this particular bill of displacement, which uh, doesn't recognize them as Native Americans anymore, but as regular Americans and many people are like, well, what's the problem there? But in the book, they're like, yeah, that takes away our, our entire our entire. I mean, I wouldn't say identity, that they do say identity, but it's it's this thing that they claim that reservation is not healthy and they want to just basically profit from the land. And these guys say this is the way of our way we live and this is the way we um, live as a, as a group of people, as a tribe. And they are already a tribe. So you can't just say, like how we say, community of disabled people. That's not a community. It's a people, group of people who have certain um, physical, mental, emotional uh, issues that can connect with each other because of certain adversities or the way they face life but they're very different in other aspects but here predominantly they come from a certain lineage a certain ancestry certain cultural context they come from uh, families that have lived together for thousands of years and they come from the same region so they have more in common than say uh, sexual preference what they eat um, or how whether they're disabled or not so that is this whole conversation we're having nowadays a community, not community. And and of course, there is so much out there, man. It just, once you start, it's just a can of worms, right? Like if I say, are black people a community? They're a race of people. Are they a community? There are sub-communities. Similarly, you can't just make blanket statements saying the disabled community because it's just weird. And anyhow, so my thing was Black Friday. Are we allowed to say it? And as in India, like you see sales anywhere. And the reason I'm really pissed off is because I fell for one of these Black Friday deals in Bangalore. So I am as much to blame as the people who stole the land from the Native Americans. I don't know how I made that connection, but that connection does exist. Anyhow, the reason I also speak about disabilities today is World Disability Day or the Disabled World Day 
or the day for world disables or the day where things everything's disabled so nothing works you can apply it in whichever way you want but i suppose the main thing is people using this day as a platform to spread awareness about disability about the various needs of people with disabilities about the various shortcomings in society for people with disabilities about the lack of access the lack of awareness and the lack of inclusion and uh, various situations that lead to people not living a dignified life especially people who have a disability and to spread this sense of dignity for people who don't have access to things which are so called uh, perceived as um, normal ways of living so i salute the people who are working in the space who are trying to help people who are disabled who have fought for a better way to live and for a more dignified way of living for themselves and people around them and i think whoever uh, on a governance level on the in the government level who has helped with policy it's a uphill battle and it really is just more symbolic as opposed to many of the grassroots projects that are actually doing work but i still salute you so before this is not a joke thing but yeah i think the day itself is good because it draws attention and i suppose there are a lot of good people doing great work but in general the days themselves i think just you just sort of oh what is what is it today is world friendship day tomorrow is collecting pink pens day and today world making graphite pencils sustainable day and next thing world disability day like so we don't know what has um which day has more gravitas than the other day and which day has to be taken more seriously because some people out there might have purple pens and they really fucking are craving a pink pen but that day might be important to them so i'm not really taking away from any of your days but i think it's important to have dialogue uh in these situations um when it comes to community i suppose if you feel like a community i'm not taking away from that at all i think you know hats off to you if you feel where you're accepted and if you can feel a sense of safety where your your fears your 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 um sense of uh belonging or more importantly if you have this vulnerability which you feel is being exploited but you can go away from that into a place where people will protect your interests and give you a sense of uh, what you can do with who you are um i think i think that's great a community is supposed to do that but if it takes away your complexity and the beauty of the elements that go into making you who you are and kind of take you for just that one particular trait as i've spoken before on this podcast i think just for you as a person and me as a person i'm not just pointing fingers i think i wouldn't like that because i don't think a community is supposed to take away multiple aspects of people and just use one to build up into this particular cause but to grow and use the strengths of everyone and also identify the weaknesses of everyone and make this community which is not perfect but not entirely flawed it's this organism that goes towards creating a better way of life for everyone involved yeah that's why i said that so on that note happy um uh, happy world disability day or happy Di- disabled toilets day or happy disabled um everything should be disabled on world disabled day and i think everyone should just sort of uh, pretend that um i wouldn't say nothing works because disabled people work rather well i just uh, want to understand I mean, would i ask everyone to say cover your eyes and pretend you're blind today it's fucking ridiculous some some people do that though empathize with us no shut the fuck up it's not going to work like that but being sensitive 
I think is important. Being kind, I think, doesn't hurt anyone. Yeah. But as uh, you will find out very soon, uh, I'm doing something different um, again on this podcast. I'm marrying two ideas. Just like how I speak and I talk shit on my own, I'm going to continue to do that. But you don't have to wait to hear the interviews as well, guys. Well, what am I trying to say? Well, a lot of times on the podcast, I try to take a step back and figure out what I'm trying to say. But I am going to give you both in one experience, what you're hearing now, where I shit on people. And um, not people. Come on, Sandeep. You don't shit on all people. Not all people, but people who do stupid things and certain stupid things that bother me. And I will bring an interview, which I also do, as you may know, when you've heard this podcast. But instead of you waiting for one on Tuesday and one on Friday, you get both on the same day. Isn't that genius? Yeah. Why did it take you so long to figure this shit out? I don't know. I didn't think I could do it because I just felt there were two parts of my life which were so different. There were two avenues which I was going down which were in different directions. And I felt that somewhere that I had to make peace with myself for these two to meet at a crossroads that can come together on one episode of this podcast called The Soapy Rao Show. So that is what is happening. And you, my friend right now who's listening, are witness to this momentous occasion where two great ideas get married. <laughs> Just have to say it myself. But anyhow, I do have a lovely guest on today's episode. This uh, recording was done um, as all like, recordings online, but it was done a few days back. So uh, I don't know why I need to, to fucking say that because there's no video. It might pop up. There's no video. Why do you have to go? Oh, good Lord. You spilled the beans. Yeah, but it's okay. I'm honest on this podcast. But anyway, this recording was done a few days back with a lovely lady uh, who lives, I think, um, Cape Cod, somewhere in New Hampshire. No, not in New Hampshire. She's in Massachusetts, which I'm not going to spell in the description because it's a hard word. Her name is Becky Kakula. And when the interview starts, you will hear me saying her name with extreme care because I was nervous. I didn't know how to say it properly. And I don't like messing up someone's name because it's nice to get someone's names right. Not their pronouns so much, but their name. So her name is Becky Kakula. And you will hear me say it with utmost care because um, I wanted to get it right. So I hope you enjoy the conversation. Becky's a fantastic person. You'll hear about her story about how she perceives the world and how the world perceives her and a lot of the things that still need to be addressed, a lot of mean people out there, a lot of people who are just, I think they hate themselves. So as a result, they want to hate you, make you feel less, 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 no, less than worthy. They want to put you down because they see you as someone who's a threat to them and you're happy, you being happy as something that, they can't be, so why should you be? And um, many of these things which are, I find, injustice because it's more, it's not something you can take to the court of law or something you want to make a big deal about on um, through an activism program, but it's just an individual thing when they can't find happiness and look at themselves for who they are with everything and their entirety of good and bad and uh, happy and sad. Then when they look at someone with a disability or someone who's living a life which is not so-called normal, uh, in a body that's so-called normal, they can't handle it. They can't handle seeing them or seeing you happy. So they feel that they need to bring you down as opposed to them looking at you going, man, I need to use that person's strength as an example of what I can be. And Becky is one example of a person who gives a lot of courage to people, a lot of strength and a lot of hope uh, just by being the person she is and living the life that she is. So... 
do enjoy the conversation. I really hope you'd enjoy the con. I think you will enjoy the conversation. I don't th- think you um, have to hope for it. I don't have to hope for it. But I do listen through, and all the details for Becky and the work she does are in the description. So hope you enjoy it. And uh, thanks for listening as always. Do tell a friend, and uh, catch you on the other side. Cheers. Becky Kakula, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? I'm great, thank you. And how are you? I'm good. Sorry for that pause. I think I might have looked constipated when I got your last name because I wanted to didn't want to mess it up. So Becky Kakula, that's a really cool name. So um, thank you so much for doing um, this and joining me on the podcast. And uh, wh- where's your? Where are you from? Like your name doesn't sound uh, like a traditional. Um, like how, I don't know what a traditional American name is, but are you from? Um, you said Massachusetts, but is that where you were born and brought up? So my maiden name is Curran, and I am from Massachusetts, and uh-huh. we're half Irish, half Italian. And my husband, who gave me the name Kakula, uh-huh. is part of a hodgepodge of <laughs> different backgrounds, but I think uh-huh. a majority of it is Czechoslovakian. Even though it sounds okay. very Hawaiian. I was going to say, I mean, I've never been to Hawaii, but, you know, um, I thought it was Hawaii. And I was like, oh, okay, this sounds like a very interesting, it's a Czech last name. Interesting. Okay. So that's, yeah. that's, that's cool. And, um, you know, so you, you, we, we got in touch through um, the group, which is, of course, on um, Facebook, where um, the, the diversibility group, right? And you, uh, we've been in touch through that. And Okay, for the people who don't know, and I don't want to mess up uh, any terminology, anything which I'm not uh, 100% sure about. So could you explain to people what um, your story is in in the sense where you come from with the fact that you're living in, in, with this particular, um, how do you put it? What's the word you use? I, yeah. <laughs> That's a great question. I have dwarfism, meaning mm-hmm. that I'm four feet tall as an adult. Okay. So I have an average height torso and shorter arms and legs. Okay. Dwarfism is considered a disability under the Americans with Disabilities Act that was passed in 1990. Mm. The definition is a physical or mental impairment that limits one or more of life's major activities. And Mm. it requires some accommodations being a person living with dwarfism in a world that wasn't made for us. And Mm. I have proudly kind of attached my identity to the word disability, because I don't think it's something we should run away from. I think Mm. it's something we should embrace. And it's just a part of life. We may not do things the traditional way that other people do things, or what one may consider as normal, but is normal Mm. really a thing? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It just may take us a little bit more time to do a task that requires a lot of extra physical activity, but Mm. we still find a way to get it done. Living a life in this body has allowed me to problem solve more than most people just Mm. trying to figure out if I show up somewhere and everything's really high, how am I going to find ways to adapt? And I grew up in a family with no history of dwarfism. So it was really trial and error trying to all figure out how to make me feel as comfortable as possible in a world that wasn't quite made for people like me. Okay. 
You know, I, I'm sorry that I asked you to explain it because the thing is, it's not it's not that I'm, I'm I'm trying to be politically correct. It's just that I don't want to say the words that sound insensitive in any way because oh, um, I'll be honest with you, you know, because the thing with height is such a big thing in cultures, right? Especially being in India, a um, lot of times you hear people mocking people uh, or rather not even maybe uh, to hurt them, but very loosely using height-based nicknames to call someone who's short or tall, right? Right. So, and you and you kind of never and when you think of disability you think of more severe i wouldn't say severe but you think of uh, more, more sort of quadriplegic you think of people who have cerebral palsy people who have got a cane so the thing is height is height or color these things are seen more as physical traits as opposed to a disability or an ability so i'm so glad you explained this just to to start this conversation because it it it, it first of all just gives me a lot of um I think I have a lot of questions to ask. Like, for instance, um, is this something which, as you said, no one in your family has it. Um, so when you were young, when you were growing up as a child, did it, were you, did you have a normal, uh, as you said, normal, but what, no, not normal, but did you have a child, um, the growth sort of phase as a, of a child and did it sort of manifest later? I would say probably when I was in kindergarten, when people, were around me I felt like I was still around the same height of most people okay. but kind of after that the first once we got to the elementary school people started growing taller a lot faster so okay. I kind of had a slow and steady growth process and mm. finished growing around 15, 13 or 14 mm. and I did have to have leg surgery when when I was technically finished growing just to put support back in my legs that was taken out when I was three years old because I was bow-legged and okay. it was affecting the alignment of my body. And they really assessed to figure out when was the best time to put bone back in my legs. And it was around the time when I had stopped growing. But it, it kind of just differs for different people. Mm. Uh, some people, it may take a little longer for that to happen. It, and you're surrounded by people who are all different heights anyways, based on their family history. Yeah, and absolutely. Background. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I was just going to say height is such a relative thing, geographically, culturally, it just, it just doesn't, it's, it's something which shouldn't be a point to ostracize or mock someone for, right? Right. And, and it was funny, because as I got older, of course, it's going to take me longer to walk things, walk places with shorter legs. And my friends who were on the taller side were those who would wait up for me uh, mm. if everyone else was walking too fast. And I think it's kind of a different but similar feeling that people yeah. who are extremely tall have feeling yeah. a little left out of the crowd of those average height folks. Yeah, I think this normal needs to be, first of all, addressed, right? Because there's this group in the yeah. middle sitting at a certain height, which is sort of now become the, the, the norm or the, the way accepted way in looks or in clothing or in, in design and architecture. And yeah, because I have a friend who's, you know, quite, I mean, for, for an Indian, he's quite tall. He's about 6'3", and I think that's tall anywhere. But he hates coming home because he keeps banging his head against the door. And he's like, man, you guys are so insensitive in your house. I'm like, never thought it's a problem, you know? Right, but, exactly. But, so we yeah. all face different challenges. But Absolutely. going back to kind of what you were saying about when our, where our mind goes with the word disability, in yeah. the little people community, there are over 400 types of dwarfism. I have the most yeah. common type called achondroplasia. 
I would say a majority of people who have my type of dwarfism with fewer complications than others may have, or it's not obvious that we use any mobile devices to get around because there could mm. be crossover. There could be a person with dwarfism who uses a wheelchair. Right. They There's a big divide in who identifies yeah. as having a disability or not. And and the, yeah. the society kind of goes at that same thing. Like, what what's your disability? And there because there are so few of us, mm. only 30,000 in the United States and a few hundred thousand worldwide, there's That's no other a really category small for us number. to really fit into. That's yeah. a really small number. So the thing is, you know, we tend to do this. I mean, people tend to br use this sort of broad brushstroke and just say dwarfism. But I'm glad you pointed this out because I was a little confused. Like, like for instance, with visual impairment or blindness, there are certain uh, genetic causes. There are certain superficial lifestyle condition accidents could cause blindness or visual. So in your case, do they know... Uh, so you mentioned the, the 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 condition of dwarfism that you have. So what wh why is something why does like some, something like that happen uh, to a to a human body? Like is it is it um, um, the environment that triggers it? Is it a certain gene that acts up? And so mm -hmm. what so what it's happened? A, an alteration of one chromosome. Okay. So it it's very <laughs> specific. Uh, so right. when two parents. Uh, now you can find out through genetic testing. Now mm -hmm. I, I was asking because I just had a similar experience a few years back, and more recently with identifying which gene, rather within the gene, which mutation, mutation, uh, which exome, which I just found out as a word, causes my eye condition. Now, so I'm very interested to find out um, how specific is it a gene or within a gene? Is it a protein? Is it a thing? And I mean, I'm sounding a little like a geneticist, which I'm not, but which one is responsible? And are you able to identify and isolate which one is causing that in your condition? Yes. Yeah, so it's like FGR. <laughs> it's like one that's, it's just one alteration of like one letter in the gene, in the chromosome. Oh man, it's like very specific. Yeah, it's so and, painful to hear one one letter. That's it, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I I know this really well because I myself now am a mother of a child with dwarfism. So, so your child has dwarfism? dwarfism? Yes. So and, the copy was passed on from you to your child? Yes. And my okay. husband also has dwarfism. So there was okay, a 50% so, chance of my child having what we have. So the thing is, I mean, I'm sorry if I'm if if it if it's if it's getting too personal. Please do no, let me know, right? No, because your husband and you both have the same kind of dwarfism. Yes. And as a result, you both have that mutation or that anomaly in that gene. Uh, but yes. was there a chance of you having a child without dwarfism? Yes, twenty five percent chance. Okay, because of that one healthy copy which you or your husband could pass on, which would kind mm -hmm. of negate that. Okay. So, and then there, okay. there's the opposite as well. If we both passed on the dwarfism gene, the dominant gene, mm -hmm. the child, this is 25% chance where the child wouldn't likely make it past a few days after being born. Oh, because, because of, of double okay. dominant is what they're called. So our child oh. has a chondroplasia. So they fall into kind of that 50% chance bucket. So the your child how how old is he or she sorry i don't know he's the, three months old oh lovely congratulations that's Thank that's so cool you. you're, you're you're a new uh, mother and you took the time to do this podcast really appreciate that 
so he's he's three months and okay let me ask um you know you said you have the um you have the torso of an average person right and does that mean all your organs all that are um okay i don't use this word but i i can't think of another other word but are they the size of a normal average person yes they are but i will say even though my torso appears to be the same height and same size Mm -hmm. the organs are more compact because they're still trying to fit into a smaller body Ah, okay. Now I have a friend who's a comedian from, I think he's originally from Lebanon. Now, I, I don't know if he lives in Australia or in England. I met him, it's been about seven years. His name is Iman Hachidi and he's, um, you said you're four feet. I think he's even less. Um, and, you know, I don't know what condition his is, but his even his voice, you can from his voice tell that he, um, I don't know what's the word, whether, it's, whether he's of a, a smaller size and he's got like, you know, I can't see you very clearly, but he's got, uh, he's pretty much like, is the right word little person? Yes. Right. So it's interesting because he tells me, I mean, he told me when we spoke, he said, yeah, I, I can't, my, 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 my endurance, my stamina, I can't do as much. My days are, I get tired a lot more easily. And is that, is that common occurrences, common uh, traits that a lot of people with dwarfism face? I think so. Just because of the energy that it takes to do simple tasks may take us more energy. Mm -hmm. Uh, It kind of ebbs and flows. It's like what, what works for you or um, how much can you, I think we all kind of assess our bodies and what we can handle or not, Mm -hmm. but there may be other times where we have a ton of energy and don't get as tired. Mm. So are you in any kind of constant, like sort of, do you have chronic pain? Do you have chronic sort of inflammation? Do you have chronic? I do uh, not, but I did have major back surgery when I was 15 because of the compact organ piece of things. My, my spinal column goes up really close to my spinal cord and I had lost my ability to walk and had to have surgery for intervention. So sometimes just the soreness from that, Mm. it, it was 22 years ago when I had that surgery, mm-hmm. but sometimes I have to just t- take a break. And right. I, if I experience numbness in my legs, sometimes that is a, a little bit of a sign of that compression still happening. Mm-hmm. And I just have to be careful, but I've always been fortunate to have a high pain tolerance. So <laughs> I like how you look at it like that. You don't look at it like, oh man, it sucks. Uh, but as opposed to that, I've built up a good pain. tolerance. I love that. Yeah. So sometimes it's scary because I may think that everything's okay and maybe there is something going on. And even that happened with my recent surgery for having my my child Mm -hmm. because my body's so small, I did have to have a C-section and I did general anesthesia. So they put me to sleep because there were just too many risks to staying awake and having uh, something put in my back to alleviate the pain. But That's I feel like it went right, so right. Yeah. it went so well. <laughs> I I worried that like, am I in pain or am I not in pain? So I still had some of the medicine just at, while I was still in the hospital. But I really didn't do too much differently when I got home because I mm-hmm. didn't find a need to just have pain medication just because. Mm-hmm. No, I it's amazing. You know, I'm so, it's so amazing to hear um, the way you talk about everything you deal with. Uh, how is it, you know, when, um, I think from what you just said, I think we are about the same age. I was born in 1982, so I think we're around the same 
um, sort of era we grew up in in different world, parts of the world. But uh, how was, you know, for you in, in your environment with in, in a place like Massachusetts with your family, um, how is the, the social, uh, the, the social awareness or the social uh, outlook towards you as a child in school, the sort of support structure, the, the, was there any kind of ridicule that you faced or any kind of, did, did you face rejection at all? I was really fortunate that my mother taught in the middle school where I attended. And just mm -hmm. because of that, it was in our hometown and she was well-respected throughout the district. Mm -hmm. And I think that brought some ad advanced awareness mm -hmm. before mm -hmm. I was entering my school years. Okay, One that thing helps, that yeah. was really beneficial was my parents worked together with another family. I had gone to preschool with someone who was able to be in my class from preschool to seventh grade, where uh -huh. it would just seemed when they tell you who's in your class, it just seemed like a coincidence. As young children, we didn't really figure or that your parents think had about like, oh, our parents set it up. Yeah. But it really helped having someone be like an ally and support to me for those years. Of course. And yeah. we ultimately got separated at, in seventh grade because that's when they started dividing different homerooms into last name and it wasn't it wouldn't have been as much of a secret but yeah I just thought it it felt very organic and it was nice <laughs> to have someone who knew me in my class every year and I think that's a bit of a reassuring like a security blanket right you you know exactly. that you have this person to lean on and, and, and I'm that, sure even they that, had that sense that I have, you know, I have you, that they had you to sort of think you had this team that you were sort of going through high school with, you know? Exactly. And then that allowed me to meet a whole group of friends who were, were her, her friends, kind of, we all came together and were very close during those earlier years. But I will say that once I got to high school, it, it was a little more challenging because my friends started dating and they mm. didn't really think that I could be around because that I wasn't really suited for that because there weren't other people with dwarfism at our school. And there's mm. a general assumption <laughs> that yeah. we only are with, it. but it it was never a, this is my only preference, but mm. it's kind of the society views they put on you. So those yeah. were some a few challenging years. It was actually right after my back surgery. I had missed mm -hmm. school and everyone was super supportive during that. And then right after, I just w wasn't getting out, invited out places as much and mm. definitely dealt with you some know, hard times trying to fit in. It's definitely difficult because, you know, this is something from the, I've spoken to people who are blind and including myself. I don't think anyone intentionally wants to sort of leave you out, but maybe sometimes it's misplaced concern or sort of a misconceived notion that, oh no, they won't enjoy this, but you kind of have to work that much harder to fit in. And I think that's especially in that age when dating or trying to attract the opposite sex or fit into your classmates who are doing, um, you know, adolescent things. And in my case, you know, I was like, I was really upset that I wasn't taken when these guys were going for car rides or a sport. And I was like, man, it really sort of, I remember this one incident, which was really sort of took a heavy load on my mind and I was really upset and not at all similar to you but uh, the, the emotion was um, felt like a huge sense of rejection and a huge sense of I'm not the same um, but you know you sound like I someone... just want to stop you for a second yeah, there yeah. 
there was a time where someone said that same thing, not as similar to you. And I, I like to try to stop people in their tracks and say, a challenge is a challenge and experience is an experience. And I think that's sometimes what happens. People assume like I face all these challenges and nothing's as bad as what I have to face. But there's something about just acknowledging facing a challenge. And maybe I was equipped to deal with more challenges in different ways and mm-hmm. other people were as well. So uh, just I always kind of bring that up because no, absolutely. I, I, I don't want people to underweigh their challenges. No, I, what I meant by not not similar to yours, I think it's the scenario which was different. Yeah. Of course, I think each person, I, I, <laughs> I think I salute everyone for facing their demons and their challenges. And I think that's really Absolutely. well put by you. Thanks for doing that. But um, no, what I what I want to talk about is this idea now that, and, and you know, just to sort of end that point is, you seem like someone who did go through those challenges. You did face those emotions, which were not always pleasant, but you come out the stronger for it. But do you sense like in today's day and age uh, with this entire movement we have, and I think it's great, there's a lot of awareness with the inclusion diversity movement. Um, for a lot of people who didn't have a voice earlier, I want to say that up top before anyone gets upset. right? Uh, but there's a lot of people now saying that if you uh, and I, I don't know if it's a particular group, but you know, with the, especially what I hear in um, the mainstream media happening in America with a lot of the LGBTQ, trans, all these communities, or they call themselves communities, is that, say, for instance, you just said, um, you know, and this is something which we both can relate to, right, where a person with dwarfism can date a person who's not a, uh, someone who's got dwarfism or someone who's visually impaired can date someone who's uh, completely visually fine. The thing is that now there's a conversation that if you aren't attracted to a person who's a transgender, you could be called out and cancelled or whatever these these words are right now. What is your thought? What are your thoughts on that? And what, do you have an opinion? Or maybe am I reading the situation wrong or getting the wrong information? I don't, I guess I know more about kind of just the reactions to the disability community. Yeah, yeah. So not as much about what's going on there, but I think... There's definitely a lot of rejection that still happens when it comes to just even interacting with the disability community, when it comes Mm. to just the actions that we're taking towards diversity and inclusion. People constantly focus on gender and people of color, and maybe they'll tackle LGBTQIA issues, but disability tends to fall off. I I Mm. think it's very upsetting for someone to be able to get away with rejecting someone from the disability community or the LGBTQIA. I think we face a lot of similar uh, obstacles where... Okay, so you feel it is similar. Okay, because the thing is that, you know, there are a few people right now, I think a lot of doing some great work in India with um, diversity, inclusion, and these are people who've been doing it for the past 20 years, right? And, And we're much larger in population and there's a lot of social divide. And, you know, you can imagine with our with our kind of the entire the, the disparity in, in, in wealth, it, it's just a shocking situation, of course. And I don't go, in, don't go down that path because it's it's a very treacherous path because there's so much to do and the work is just, it feels like a little drop in, a, in an ocean, you know. But um, what I don't get is this, um, this sense, right? Like, because for, 
Because for me, the thing with, with dating was I had to make that much more of an effort to hide the fact that I can't make eye contact, right? I would do certain things. And, but for you, it's more physically evident, right? It's, it's you are physically okay. appear different from a person who's not got dwarfism. So, so do you try that much harder to say, hey, wait a second, I can do everything you can do. We can be compatible. How do you approach, uh, find, I mean, I'm so glad that you have a partner, you have a family and I'm so glad it worked out, but I'm sure there were days when you were like, ah, I, I, I don't like who I am or I don't like people for looking at me the way they do. What was your thought process and the mindset? And uh, again, if it gets too personal, please let me know, you know? Well, I think definitely even in my high school years before I was involved with Little People of America, so I didn't really know any other people, little people. So I mm. pretty much thought, okay, <laughs> let's figure out how I can... Uh, just go the traditional route and even yeah. it's okay. I'm, yeah. I, I can be attracted to someone who's average height, but hopefully they could be attracted back in, in a genuine way. Mm-hmm. I, I would say the biggest kind of preventer of all of that experience was them, even if they had any bit of attraction, genuine attraction towards me, mm-hmm the fear of what other people would think, how other people would judge them, their friends saying comments. And and I think even during your high school years, you're just not old enough to really feel confident to, to stick up for yourself for mm. something that you may really want and uh, think is important. So I think yeah. that was kind of a barrier to any potential connections that could have happened during those years. And it took until once I got to college and I joined the organization Little People of America and started meeting people with similar lived experiences that I found that connection and genuine back and forth. It's amazing that they have, yeah. it's, It's a lot of people are fearful of what others will think. And as far as me saying, oh, I can do this, I think it's hard it's a, a little bit easier to do that, like for a professional setting of a job, be like, I can really do this. But yeah. if someone's not feeling it in a relationship side of things, it's a little more challenging to mm. build your case <laughs> after the fact. Yeah. You know, I find that amazing because my my, my wife is uh, sighted. She has no visual impairment. So I'm just trying to think that it's so amazing that you know, I mean, for other reasons that she settled for me, right? <laughs> not not my visual impairment, but for other things. But uh, um, it's amazing how what people think of you can determine your entire life. Like, you know, I'm not saying yeah. I'm, in this case, of course, but if you are with someone who has a disability, but in any aspect, like you have people who are, say, two so-called normal people being together, they... You think that I mean, you, you and I being disabled think that oh they're normal they must be happy or they, but you you'd, you'd be I mean just by living how many of years I have lived on on this planet you can tell immediately no they're not that happy if you actually just look a little beyond the surface they still are as bogged down by social conditioning or by by how they're perceived or how they have to be accepted how they have to impress people how they have to get validation so these things and you know what I feel by nowadays. Now it's the opposite, right? If you if you don't celebrate, um, you know, whatever the the, the new uh, extremely sort of um, vocal topics are, uh, you know, on the on the world stage, um, you you have to be forced to be inclusive. You have to force people to be tolerant. You have to force people. And after a point, I'm like, 
you know, if you do this, it's great, maybe for a few who will say, wait a second, it's kind of like the, the blindfolds taken off my eye. But for every one of those, I feel it's creating some people who are like, you know, what, I'm going to be seen doing this, because it's the way that people will accept me, but I don't feel these things. And I think that's where maybe the problem is. And do you do you have experience with any of these situations where people say the right things, they use the right political words, the correctness, but deep down, at, in their sort of in their heart, they don't feel that the society should be inclusive, that not all people deserve the same dignity to live. Absolutely. And we hear it even in our family circles of people who knew me growing up. And mm -hmm. especially I think especially when it comes to terminology and what we find acceptable, there's a saying that people often use in the disability community, nothing about us without us. So society may try to project how we like to be referred to, and it could be completely opposite. And yeah. I could have a completely opposite point of view as the person next to me with dwarfism, because maybe they had a different lived experience growing up in their yeah. terminologies that they don't prefer to hear. And for me, maybe there's something else that I prefer to hear. And it's very challenging because we're all trying to advocate for greater acceptance, but then some mm. people may feel that one term works better than the other. I would prefer if everyone just calls people by their name and get to know them that way. Yeah, but, yeah. But I think there's a, a, a ongoing assumption, even when it comes to workplace inclusion, uh, yeah. the ability for someone to do a job, I think society, and even the ability for someone with a disability to be high up in an organization. If someone has a disability that you are not able to figure out right away by looking at them mm. not a parent then they're less likely to make it known because they see how people with physical disabilities are treated in society and the doubt mm. that's projected on them you know that's 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 so true and i'm a living example of that where i'm not outwardly disabled right maybe if you look at me for a few more moments then a passing glimpse, you'll say, okay, this guy's either got a squint or he's not able to focus or, he... but I literally for years just try to take all the attention away from my eyes. I would do anything to appear normal. And it's such a huge burden and almost like a huge lie to live with, right? Because you're constantly, you don't want to trip and fall because people are like, what, why, why can't you? And if people say, what happened to your eyes? Why, why, if you look too close at it, at a television screen or a thing like why are you looking so close and you kind of almost terrified to say out loud that I do have a visual impairment you know and the thing mm -hmm. what you just mentioned is so true because people I think we're so scared to put our head up above water because we don't want to get stamped or trampled or embarrassed or sort of an embarrassment is such a such an overpowering emotion where one incident like oh what happened that disabled guy needed help it just sort of till date you know i'm now talk about it on stage i'm a stand-up comedian who makes fun of myself in some cases self-deprecating in some cases i talk about experience where people are laughing at other people who made a fool of themselves by putting me down and i'm in a much more comfortable place talking about it like we are sharing stories but still when someone's like what happened that blind fool what happened or, what, what happened he's blind maybe not intentionally to hurt but when i hear that it just sort of still has such a deep-seated effect you know in my body it kind of just sends me into this into that old primal feeling of not good enough, you know? Mm -hmm. so and it's terrifying that it still happens. But 
what I tell some people, right, and I do a joke about it. I'm like, you know what? You can still sit there on the side of the road saying, oh, is he visually impaired? Is he blind? Is he is he a person who's got a visual impairment? Is he alter-abled? I'm like, instead of that calling and getting the right name, why don't you help him cross the road? Because that's more important at this point in time. And exactly. Everyone's just shouting yeah. out, you know, and I've got no experience with a disabled friend who's got cerebral palsy, multiple sclerosis, ever taking offense with the wrong pronoun or the wrong label or the wrong political correct term. It's it's usually people getting offended on behalf of a, a person with a disability. And I find that absolutely astonishing, you know. It's so true. And I think so many times what prevents people from being inclusive is they stumble on words and action. And as you said, you just want to get across the street. So let's yeah. get to the point and not yeah. be so hesitant about offending by using the wrong term. Yeah. That's why if you address someone by their name, you get to know them, then you'll start to slowly understand how they prefer to be addressed. Yeah, because I think we diminish a person's entire world. Entire, I mean, you, 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 you have one of the things that you have in your life is, is dwarfism, but there are so many things that go into making who you are, making you into who you are. And I don't undermine that by just calling you by one label. And I think that's unfair to you, right? And I think that's a beautiful point because I think we take away from, you know, so many aspects of humanity and a human being by just reducing them to a label or a pronoun or whatever it may be. And it may be some people like it, but I don't think there should be too much focus on that. And I, I'm so glad you said it because I think it needs to be said. Because if I do call you the wrong thing, um, in, in, instead of calling you a little person or a person with dwarfism, I call you say, um, I don't even know if it's acceptable. I call you, if, if the word midget is used, I don't think you're going to go and scold me. You'll say, hey, that's not that's not what is used anymore, right? That's exactly what I'll say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I I don't know, and I'm I'm not I'm not interacting with people with dwarfism on a regular basis for me to know. But you wouldn't, you know, go to the other extreme and say I'm off this podcast no longer. I hope you don't say that. Right. I'm just assuming. Wow. <laughs> but but I would say, especially in the comedy world, that you I, I spent some time in my career working at a talent agency representing comedians, so I know that world very well. Uh -huh. uh, you probably will come across people with dwarfism that are okay with the term midget. So mm -hmm. it's very tricky because a majority yeah. of us prefer not to use it, but you yeah. may have a lived experience where you, f you come across people who are okay with it. And then that makes some of us feel like we're going backwards but yeah it's no it's so strange because i do have a story <laughs> in comedy yeah because i met a guy and he said call me a midget and i said okay now if i do the show the story on stage he said do it because it's my story about you and me i said but what he's like no it's about you and me so talk about us not about the the community of people so i get what you mean but it's also a case-to-case -case, uh, situation right because uh, exactly. when I thought of dwarfs, I, for me, automatically, it's Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, which, of course, is mm -hmm. popular culture. And is Walt Disney wrong? In many ways, Walt Disney and the stories that he propagated were very wrong. But in fact, when you said, uh, you wrote and said, I'm a person who um, lives with dwarfism, I'm like, can I call her a dwarf on the podcast? So it's, 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 and this is you and I who both identify as people with a disability. We're both having this conversation and I'm still unsure. Yeah, so, so the thing is, there are certain ways that, you know, we were just told to use words so loosely. And I think that's good that we are aware that certain words, and I think it's a person to person situation, right? There are things that you might get upset and a person who might not have any disability doesn't like certain, you know, other words. So um, I think conversations are really important, but through your work and through the uh, talks you gave and the people you are 
bringing into your sort of story. Um, do you see a change one-on-one -on -one happening? Absolutely. I think there is change once people become more aware and knowledgeable about our community. There's a higher level of respect and understanding that comes with it. Mm -hmm. I know we were talking about kind of the word dwarf and and the historical <laughs> reference of mm -hmm. being fictional characters. For right. me, I believe that it's okay to use the word dwarf or dwarfism because that is the medical diagnosis per se. Okay. Right. And I'm okay with little person, but in the disability community, you'll hear a lot of people say, people first or identity first language. So people first language would be person with dwarfism. Identity first would be little person. Oh, I didn't, see, I didn't even know these things existed. I didn't know people first, identity first terminology. <laughs> ah, and I, I think I confuse people because I tell them that I'm okay with either term. Mm. I think I like to give people as many options as possible right. for me because then we can move on and have mm -hmm. a conversation. Mm -hmm. uh, but those who get kind of caught up on what to use or what not to use prevents them from getting to the meat of understanding that we, at the end of the day, are all just human and yeah. don't really need the labels. But until the world gets to a place where there's more level, greater levels of inclusion, we're mm. going to still need them. So, so do you do you physically like now uh, I'd love to know how your husband and you met and now you are a family with a little boy who's three months old. So when you travel or, or maybe we can talk about the, how you met first and then go into like as a family, when you move around, how is it? How is it for you? Is it easy? Is it a lot of accommodation? Do you do you get a lot of stares and do you get I mean, what I'm talking about is how how is it? How is the experience being a family with your partner and your child being in the in the in the world out, out at large and also now with the, the previous year's lockdown, how was it for you to cope? <laughs> I would say pre the lockdown, even since we've had our child, we haven't gone out too much just because okay. of trying to be safe. But as a couple in the past going out places, definitely people are more likely to uh, laugh, stare, point. Really? In major cities, it happens more because you're seeing so many more people in any given day. Mm. In small towns, it's not going to happen as much, but there may be some people in those small towns who have had little to no exposure to diversity, and then that makes them more likely to make comments and judge. So is that more from that? So that's more from ignorance as opposed to malice, right? Exactly. And it still hurts. <laughs> I don't think it hurts less, but exactly. <laughs> It really That's terrible is. that they, people do that. I mean, I know it's done in like, you know, as you mentioned, historically, and there are, um, of course, it's a question which I have to ask you about the Game of Thrones, Tyrion Lannister, and mm -hmm. that sort of uh, feature in popular culture now. But, it, you know, you read it in books, right? Uh, the, the, the dwarf in or being the, the court jester or the dwarf being, oh, and it happens, of course, in Game of Thrones, the dwarfs mounting the dog and the pig and having the joust and everyone laughing. And, and yeah, you're like, oh, cool, that's, that was in medieval times, maybe during the reign of Richard III or whatever. But it still happens that people laugh at and they point. And I mean, I, I just can't, sometimes I can't see people. So I just give them the benefit of the doubt saying that, you know, they may be not looking at me or they're not looking at the fact that I use a cane. So I give people, but sometimes I get angry them. But I can't believe that they still do that. It's, you know, they, it's ridiculous. It, it's hurtful, not fun. Yeah. But in most cases, I 
tend to ignore people because I'm worried about my own physical safety. So if I respond and act back, that could lead to more tension. And I just can't. (laughs) No, but I think you have as much, if not more of a right to demand dignity and since you're living such a full life with your partner mm. and with your husband with your child I, I just don't get it i don't get what people um see in themselves that gives them that 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 feeling that hey you know look at me i have it all let me make someone else feel not good enough and i'm not talking about you and me specific just just that general sense and i mean maybe the word now is used as entitlement or privilege but that feeling that i am going to make someone feel not good enough i just hate that feeling Mm-hmm. that they have mm-hmm. you know and and that's what i think when i ignore the mm. comments because i hear most of them yeah i think that may cause someone to rethink a little as well because i'm ignoring it it's not affecting me they were hoping it would affect me mm. if they have a friend around their friend may stick up for me and say why would you do that and it really hopefully causes someone to reflect and not do it again. And I've noticed, you know, I think I think we can all hope that there is someone in their group or someone saying, why would you do that? Right. Not like not like you fool, you can't say that. But why just why would you do that? It's such, such an important question. Right. Because and our hope is that they introspect going, why would I do that? But I think many of these times when people say these things, I feel personally, and I could be completely off, my gauge could be off people. I, I feel it comes from a place of self, they, they don't like themselves. So they feel if I'm miserable, why mm-hmm. why is a disabled person happy? You know? <laughs> right? It's, yeah. it, it could be very true. Yeah. No, but did, did, did the whole thing, and I don't know if it's a, it's a question worth answering for on your thing, but uh, did the whole Game of Thrones, Tyrion Lannister, because he was such a hit in the show, did it help for your for your awareness or image did, did people get more curious did they start asking questions or was it just another thing which just passed by i think the best thing about it is the way that the world now looks at peter dinklage as mm-hmm. an extremely talented actor mm-hmm. and his dwarfism is just a part of who he is but it's mm-hmm. not necessarily talked about Mm-hmm. And I think that's what everyone really wants at the end of the day, yeah. to be admired for their skill set. Their disability brings traits mm-hmm. to their humanity uh, and, and allows them to do things in certain ways. Mm-hmm. But it's being acknowledged for your skill set and passion above mm-hmm. else. And that just happens to be a part of who you are. And yeah. I think it it has worked so well as his career has blown up, especially from the recognition through Game of Thrones. I think the world has kind of identified that it is a fictional show and that we aren't really going to, no one's going to treat us (laughs) kind of the way related to that. I think there's probably more impact on the reality television shows that happen around Mm. us because they're a lot less budget less thought being put Mm. into them trying to figure out what people may or may not like Mm. i i I think i am more likely to have society attach me to one of those versus a fictional show that everyone loved absolutely no when i when i read uh the book game of thrones i that was one of my characters who i loved i I mean i salute george rr martin for writing that character so well because you would obviously, you know, you you would, in my case, listen to the book from his perspective. And what a 
deep character, right? Like with he's got malice, he's got love, and he's loyal to a flaw. He's got these human traits which you would want at the same time you would envy in a, even an able not you know I'm not a not a person with not a dwarf but in any person you would sometimes salute that that the brain the ability to think through strategy such a thing but just this one thing sometimes like the way his father looks at him the way people mock him but he still ends up being massive in the in the plot of the game of thrones and i i find that tremendously um respectable as a character right of course he's human and i i could identify with so not the greatness but i could identify with a lot of traits like he would mess up as a normal person not because he was a dwarf but he did other things which are stupid you know and i found that so amazing that character and i watched a couple of movies in the past with peter dinklage you know i think one was a show called nip tuck back in the day where he was this uh, mm-hmm. uh where i think it was a plastic surgeon office in florida and he would he was the guy who the wife had an affair with and i was like this guy is really cool and then again in a movie called death at a funeral and he again and, and he's got such a and and this thing as in you know i i can't see this his size and his entire sort of acting but i can hear his voice and he's quite a compelling person on screen just to to listen to you know so it's amazing as you mentioned Absolutely. that he can bring that out in his acting skills as opposed to just playing the dwarf role you know and that's the best thing and i think in the acting world a lot of people with disabilities who also happen to be actors or mm. creators want those types of roles where it's not talked about and they can just shine and yeah. and be a doctor or a professional or a fictional character whatever it may be yeah and if they're not given that chance it prevents them from being able to thrive mm. So 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 Becky you mentioned that you're a motivational speaker so what else do you do uh, to spend your time and uh, and your husband and you what what do you both do uh, you know I th- I think I did forget to answer earlier about how we did meet we did end up meeting through Facebook mm-hmm. and we had some mutual friends and we did long distance dating for a while and then finally met after about 4 months of talking so where was he at that time you were in massachusetts he was in i, I was actually in new york city ah okay <laughs> i've i've been around a little bit in my adult life so i was living in new york city and uh-huh. he was living in wisconsin where he was from okay we did long distance for 2 years oh that must have been I, tough yeah. yeah and then i moved to wisconsin for a little bit for about 2 years and then we moved to massachusetts about a year ago okay and so it's just common for people to meet long distance and because you're not necessarily going to find someone with dwarfism who you're compatible with in your local area right 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 so you've been together now for a few years right yes <laughs> uh so in our free time i would say we've been pretty busy just uh, trying to our son actually is on supplemental oxygen for sleep apnea okay. and it it, it, we were we were kind of talking about how it is how we get around and it's mm. it's been challenging because right now he uses a car bed instead of a car seat okay because you need to have the tank the machine right 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 um, so it just makes it a little more challenging to leave the house and especially since we're still in this pandemic mm. we have been spending a lot of time at home but trying to find some cheer recently with the holiday season coming up we started decorating for the holidays and i still do a lot of virtual speeches and mm-hmm. work virtually i just recently started 
that up again because I was taking time off with our son. Yeah, yeah. But it really has been kind of just staying busy, keeping him fed and getting him to sleep when he needs to sleep. And How cool is that? I mean, it must be hopefully beautiful. Hopefully we can start to kind of take some more walks and enjoy the water. We do live in a town very close to the water and I always find it very therapeutic. And I love taking photos wherever I am. So if I can go places where there are good photographs to take, mm. I always enjoy that. Oh, that's that's no, it's amazing that. Uh, so do do you? Um, so the three of you are at home and you do your thing, and no, it's amazing because I, I you know, just such a great um, amount of things you're doing, and I'm I'm just so. I'm actually, I, I usually talk too much, <laughs> this is, but I'm, I'm kind of out of words that I'm so glad that you reached out and you're doing all this and you have a lovely child and um, your partner who you can share your life with. And thank you for getting on this podcast to share your story. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. So where can, Be uh, Becky, where can people find you? Where can they follow you uh, on social media or see the photos you take or hear your speeches, the talks you've given? Can you just drop a couple of things and I can put them in the description later? Yeah, so BeckyMotivates.com is where my website is. And a lot of my social handles are related to that. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, under mm -hmm. Becky Karen Kakula. Okay. Uh, but all of those can be linked from BeckyMotivates.com. Brilliant. So I'm, I'll make sure and I hope all the people listening right now head over to your website, check out everything you have to talk about and the stories you've shared. And uh, again, on behalf of everyone, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Good luck and all the best to your little boy and uh, hope he grows up to be happy and um, as cool as his mom. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Bye. Bye. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you like what you heard, please do check out the other episodes on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast. And I would much appreciate it if you could like the video, share it with people who you think might enjoy it. And of course, do subscribe to the channel because it will help me and the podcast grow and reach more people just like you. So thanks again. Appreciate it.